take up our quarrel with the foe. To you, from failing hands, we throw the torch. Be yours to hold it high. If ye break faith with us who die, we shall not sleep, though poppies grow in Flanders' fields. For most of its history, art has depicted war as something magnificent. For instance, in 23 BCE, the Roman poet Horace put into words a cultural feeling that it prevailed and would prevail for millennia. Dulce et decorum est patria mori. It is sweet and right to die for your country. But well before that, Sparta based its entire civic life and ethos around war. In his collection of 78 morals, tales and short stories called the Moralia, Greek historian and essayist Plutarch wrote of the Battle of Thermopylae, and in a section called Sayings of Spartan Women, he wrote that when soldiers headed off to fight, their mothers would hand them their shields and say, Etan e epitash, meaning return with it or on it. Mothers whose sons died in battle openly rejoiced, while mothers whose sons survived hung their heads in shame. This is where we hold them! This is where we fight! This is where they die! And these shields, boys! Remember this day, man. For it will be yours for all time. It was not until the 19th century that dissent began to appear. But appear as they did, such protestations were few and far between. What changed all that was World War I. The devastation wrought in those four years was so immense that in its wake it was called the War to End All Wars. And while it certainly failed to live up to that title, it certainly altered depicting war as a glorious event. Which is somewhat curious, because by the time the war broke out, the written word had been overtaken as the most powerful means of documenting history. When the fighting started in August 1914, cinema was already two decades old, and in that short time it had proven itself to be better than any of the other arts in depicting movement. Which, when you think of all those soldiers charging over the top, and all those mines erupting from beneath the battlefield, cinema can, to mix the metaphors, deliver a symphony of motion. With sound and image, cinema can deliver a more sensorial immersion to its audience than any book or painting can. I love the smell of napalm in the morning. You know, one time we had a hail bomb? For 12 hours, when it was all over, I walked up. We didn't find one of them, not one stinking dink body. Smell! You know that gasoline smell! The whole hill! Smells like... Victory. And perhaps it is that very reason why cinema has inexorably changed our perception of war. With cinema's inclination towards realism, the carnage is all too vivid. Yet, paradoxically, while the cinema screen provides an enormous canvas, its frame offers a deep reservoir of psychological introspection. I'm talking about trauma. Because, for all the action that cinema can capture, what really makes the carnage all too vivid 
is how it impacts on the characters. Hello there, soldier. Ready to kill more Germans? That is, everything all right, soldier? All right. Yes, sir, I'm all right. Haha, <laughs> good fella. Are you married, soldier? Married? Me married? Yes, have you got a wife? A wife? Have I got a sir, wife? He's a bit shell-shocked. I beg your pardon, Sergeant. There is no such thing as shell-shock. Have you got a wife, soldier? My wife? My wife? Yes, I have a wife. I'm never going to see her again. I'm going to be killed. Get a grip on yourself. You're acting like a coward. I am a coward, sir. Snap out of it, soldier! Sergeant, I want you to arrange for the immediate transfer of this baby out of my regiment. I won't have other brave men contaminated by him. Yes, sir. Carry on, Sergeant. Evidence of post-traumatic stress disorder can be traced back some three and a half thousand years to ancient Mesopotamia. There, soldiers spoke of being visited by, quote, ghosts they faced in battle. This chimes very accurately with the modern diagnosis of post-traumatic stress disorder. However painful the condition may be, only until recently was it confined to those who did the fighting. Through television, America's war in Vietnam was called the Living Room War. And with the internet, Wi-Fi connects you to images of suicide bombers and beheadings. What we have now is the cell phone war. And yet, for all the new media, the trauma still remains. Would you be surprised if I told you that the Navy has credited you with over 160 kills? Mm. Do you ever think that you might have seen things or done some things over there that you wish you hadn't? Oh, that's not me, no. What's not you? I was just protecting my guys. They were trying to kill our soldiers, and uh, I'm willing to meet my creator and ask for every shot that I took. The thing that uh, haunts me are all the guys that I couldn't save. I'm willing and able to be there, but I'm not. I'm here. I quit. You can walk down any hall in this hospital. We got plenty of soldiers need saving. Mm-hmm. Want to take a walk? Sure. Right now, it would appear that the war picture is approaching a crossroads. Where once art valorized war, for the last century, it has depicted it as a tragedy. When you look at Pablo Picasso's Guernica, read Kurt Vonnegut's Slaughterhouse-Five, or listen to Wojciech Kielar's Exodus, the last thing you do is celebrate the events being depicted. In recent years, however, the depiction of war seems to be drifting into a highly ambiguous territory. Catherine Bigelow's The Hurt Locker won the Academy Award for Best Picture in 2010 for navigating the fine line between portraying a man deeply damaged by his duty and yet who only feels connected to life when he is diffusing bombs. While Bigelow was rightly praised for the way she depicted the impact of war upon an environment, she also came in for criticism for not outright condemning US foreign policy. Clint Eastwood's American Sniper occupies a similar grey area. Breaking all manner of box office records, it has been nominated for six Academy Awards. Yet it is drawing a lot of flack from several quarters for the way it accounts for the military career 
of Chris Kyle. The US Marine reputed to have amassed more kills than any other sniper in history. Depending on your point of view, this is either laudatory or lamentable. But for all its controversy, the one thing that Eastwood's film does not do is reduce conflict to a game. The other way. There you go. <laughs> I see the turret turning at us. I'm like, what the hell? Open fire. Oh, no. Oh, oh not was friendly fire. Oh, Forgot man. Chris Kyle was clearly a troubled man. The fact that he seemed untroubled at all by his kills is precisely what is troubling. But there are other people who consider him a great American patriot. And that is what is most troubling of all. Is America now at a stage that a measure of one's patriotism is one's willingness to kill for one's country? Dulce et decorum es patria occidere. It is sweet and right to kill for your country. And that begs the question, is it sweet and right to kill for your God? Clint Eastwood does not necessarily raise these questions in his film. In fact, his film doesn't raise all that many questions because, while it is by no means empty jingoism, as is so often the case with Eastwood's films, the mood is mournful and difficult. But curiously, Eastwood has chosen to omit one of the most difficult aspects of Kyle's life, and more pertinently, his death. Chris Kyle was shot dead by a fellow American. Eddie Ray Ruth is a 25-year-old US Marine Corps veteran, and Kyle had taken Ruth to a shooting range in an effort to help Ruth deal with his own post-traumatic stress disorder. The troubling complexity of that crime might have bought American Sniper a deeper insight into the nature of war and who you fight when you go to war. Clearly, Clint Eastwood's film has struck a chord with American audiences, and the chord it has struck most forcefully is not patriotism, but anger. Eastwood's film is not angry, but clearly much of the American Republic is. A century ago, last July, shots rang out that plunged the world into a state of war so ferocious it unleashed a scale of killing history had never seen. So immense was the carnage that the conflict came to be known as the Great War. 100 years on, that title has long since been revised, and we regard it now simply as a tragedy. And I just wonder how long it will take for cinema to view this war in the same way. Take up our quarrel with the foe. To you, from failing hands, we throw the torch. Be yours to hold it high. If ye break faith with us who die, we shall not sleep, though poppies grow in Flanders' fields. <laughs>